Welcome into Buccaneers Insider Live presented by Miller Lite. Casey Phillips and Scott Smith here. And this is where, as always, we take your questions. So leave those in the comment section underneath the Facebook Live video and we can get to those as we give people a chance to start mm-hmm. submitting some of those. Uh, we got a lot of awards, honors, things. Lots of good news. Lots of good news this week. So hours. why don't we start with uh, the Hall of Fame? Yeah, yesterday the Hall of Fame semifinalists were announced. That, you know what the procedure is? They have any number, but it's usually around 120 of uh, original nominees that come out in September. A lot of them you can look at and say, well, they're not going to make the Hall of Fame. But this is where it starts to get serious. They right. pair that down to 25, and uh, and that's called the semifinalist. And then in early January, they'll take that list and move it down to 15. And those are the players that are going to be voted on on that big day, the day before the Super Bowl, when the Hall of Fame, I think it's called Voting Committee or Selection Committee, all gets together to figure out which um, – uh, up to five, but this nowadays it's always five because there's usually more than five that they want to get in, so they max it out every year. So uh, we got to the semifinal stage uh, Tuesday, yesterday, and we got three guys on it. Three out of the 25 are Buccaneers, uh, John Lynch, Rondé Barber, and Simeon Rice. And it's kind of interesting because this is the eighth straight year that John's been a semifinalist, eight years since he's been eligible. He's been a semifinalist every year. This is the third straight year for Rondé Barber, who's been all the years he's been eligible. But Simeon was eligible for several years before he, he was even on the ballot. And then he made the semifinalists in 2017, then or 2018, then 17. Then yeah, didn't make it didn't, last yep. year, and now he's back, which is great. So three guys, hopefully we can get all of them into the 15, but even if it's just one or two, that would be quite good. That would be huge. And what do you feel like the um, – odds are essentially looking at some of the rest of the class because that can be it so often mm-hmm. is not even about how much in one of these individual guys deserves it but just knowing how many other people potentially at that position are right there yeah. we, we tend to call it like a, a log jam at, yeah. at certain positions yeah good question one of the i guess maybe encouraging things for our guys on returning ballots is that this isn't a year that's absolutely loaded with guys that you look at him and go oh, well he's definitely a first ballot guy because that's what can happen if if three guys come along, like Ed Reed or something like that, all in the same year, and you're like, well, they're definitely getting in, that leaves only a couple spots for them to choose among the returning people. And if you look at this year's list, I kind of think Troy Polamalu is probably the best bet to be a first ballot mm-hmm. guy. But even I wouldn't even call that a lock. And then maybe Reggie Wayne, but most of the receivers have had to wait a few years. Even Terrell Owens didn't get in his first year. So it's not a year that's crowded with that. So maybe this is an opportunity for them to um, – you know, clean up some guys they would have liked to have gotten in in previous right. years. And, and, you know, maybe, maybe if, you know, John Lynch has been close for a long time. Maybe he's been six or seven out of five in, in recent years, and this might be a shot to be in the top five. Or Rondé Barber, of course. Uh, the, your question is a good one. There are six defensive backs among those 25, but Rondé's the only corner. Okay, so that might yeah, that might work. Kind of well, then we are definitely going to hope for that. Um, yeah. And then we have some other honors in terms of yeah. current Buccaneers. Chris Godwin was named NFC Defense Offensive Player of the Week. Um, you, you never know. I mean, Vita Vea. I was going to say, why not? Let's see how Chris does. <laughs> he could probably play pretty good uh, safety. I yeah, think. I would agree with that. Um, yeah, Offensive Player of the Week after his career day, which was 184 yards on seven catches, two touchdowns. Both touchdowns were equally amazing in their own right. The 71-yarder. Uh, was right between two defenders, and then he bounces off the safety and runs the last 38 yards. And then the one-yarder, you know, he's falling backwards. He catches it with one hand. Uh, you know, it's just it's highlighting the various things that Chris Godwin can do. So he's the he, that's the second time he's won the award because he also won it in the last game of his rookie season. Remember when he caught that touchdown to beat New Orleans at the very end of the yep. game? Um, so that's cool. And what's interesting to me when I looked it up, I was shocked to see this. This is not at all what I expected. 
He's the first wide receiver we have ever had to have won that award twice in his career. Really? It, it, they started giving out this award in 1984. Wow. I mean, even Mike Evans only has one, and he probably has been deserving several other times. Yeah. I guess it's just, you know, if you look at the list, of, if you look at the week-by-week award, it is most commonly won by quarterbacks. And That's usually true. there's some QB out there who throws four or five touchdowns. Right. And even if you have a great week, it's, again, dependent upon what other people do yeah. as well. I mean, look at the AFC, and I don't know who won it because I haven't looked yet, but it probably was Lamar Jackson, I'm guessing. But Marquise Brown had a huge day, but right. Lamar Jackson was the one throwing all those touchdowns. Right, so, so he gets all that credit. So uh, in this case, what was also neat about this is Chris Godwin went over 1,000 yards and actually got there before Mike Evans, which was really weird because Mike went into the game only needing seven. Right. And Chris needed 113, but they both got there, which is awesome. That's so. true. Yeah, which is an incredible thing to have two guys on the same offense doing that, two wide receivers, yeah. because it just shows, A, I mean, how many yards in general the yeah. offense is producing this early in the season to Five be able to, go. to Yeah, to be able to find both guys that Bruce, often is I, amazing. You may have been, it may have been your show. Didn't Bruce Arians say something like he, he, both those guys could get to 1,500? Yeah, he said that's his new goal for them, which I always love. It's basically, it's like he is like never like, oh, yeah, you've done enough. He's like, <laughs> well, now if you're already there, you might yeah. as well go for 1,500 yeah. at this point. Well, we've only had one guy ever get to 1,500, and that was Mike last year. So so if two guys do it, that'd be pretty amazing. One more thing about I know we got questions mm-hmm. to get to, but one, one more thing about Chris Godwin that I found very interesting. And if you didn't see Bruce's press conference on Monday, you might have missed it. Uh, you know, we've talked before about what an incredible blocker he is. So think about the fact that this guy's got 1071 yards and an NFL leading nine receiving touchdowns, but he's also one of the best blocking receivers in the NFL. So in this game, in every game, you have to make adjustments on, on offense or defense. And because you, you watch film and you think you know what they're going to do, what they usually do, but every team has throws something new at you that you weren't expecting. So in this case, from watching tape, the Buccaneers had expected that Atlanta's would, would sometimes walk a safety down mm-hmm. towards the box. But if they did so, they would do it on the – I think I got this backwards before. They would do it on the strong side. Uh, no, they would do it on the weak side. But instead, they did it on the strong side. And so uh, they had to adjust because they had a plan to to block everybody in terms of pass rush. And the solution to this sudden change was Chris Godwin. Yeah. Because basically what it meant is they had to find something now to block a linebacker instead of a safety. And Chris Godwin was going to block a safety, but they're like, he can block a linebacker. And apparently he had to block a linebacker a number of times and did it perfectly every time. That's incredible. I mean, he's just so valuable even beyond his catching. Yeah. Um, Questions. Justin wants to know, do you expect us to play more press man coverage with how well it has worked out? Well, yeah. I mean, I think it depends on the opponent. You know, for some reason, and I don't I wasn't in the meetings, but as you know, when we went into the New Orleans game, they believe the best way to approach that was more zone. So I think it depends on what the opponents do and what you think will work best against them. And I don't think everything in the Atlanta game was press man coverage. I don't think it was just press man coverage all day. But it did work. I do think you have a couple guys who are good at that. That's probably their strength, like Carlton Davis and maybe Jamel Dean were still learning. Um, so, yeah, maybe a little bit, but I still think it's more uh, specific to what the opponent does. Right, which is a good point. And how about um, looking at Jacksonville and, and who Nick Foles is? Um, and maybe who he's even looked like he is post-injury of um, how our secondary could continue to have, yeah. uh, you know, I feel like these kind of, are the kind of games you need to start building to give those guys confidence that yeah. after 16 passes defensed, it feels like they're, they're building that you wanna, momentum. You want to see that they turn the corner, right? Right. And the storyline is that they've been doing a lot of, the, the young guys in particular, have been doing a lot of extra uh, tape study with Todd Bowles, and they are starting to, recognize what the other team's trying to do, what the quarterback wants to do and the receivers want to do better, which allows you to anticipate and 
move more quickly and more instinctively rather than thinking it through and being a little short or a little slow. So uh, you want to see that that definitely looked like what happened and it's what the coaches said happened against Atlanta. And if that is like if they've turned the corner, no pun intended, uh, you want to see that they really have and they can right. do it. They, well, they're not going to be getting 16 passes defense every game. But if the if what we saw, the clear improvement last week continues, then maybe you think, man, okay, they've got it. And, and maybe this investment from the last couple drafts in these defensive backs is actually going to pay off. And, mm-hmm. and you, I mean, think about the fact that if, if, you, if you had Carlton Davis and Jamel Dean and Sean Murphy Bunting playing at the level they were in Atlanta on a pretty consistent basis – You've kind of got the core for yeah. your for your secondary. You feel for a good long about that, time. yeah. Uh, Lewis said, "Do you think they use Vita Vea in the offense more now?" Well, here's the thing. I was just talking, to, I think, on the podcast yesterday about this. Yes and no. The thing about it is, you got to get in those situations. And Bruce Arians was saying, "You know, we just haven't had a lot of goal line snaps recently. Basically, when we've had them, we've used them. Um, I don't think you use them all the time because the more you do it, the less tricky it is, right? But you don't have to be tricky when he can maybe block three guys at once, right?" Uh, I always think what he's done warrants him being out there, but he's also so valuable on defense that you don't want to overwork him, right? right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, more, but it, you know, it's it's just the opportunities aren't going to come up that much. And and some might say, well, use him on third and one. You know, it doesn't have to be goal line. The difference there is, if you throw a pass to Vita in the end zone, as soon as he catches it, the play's over. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have to do anything else, and he doesn't have to get tackled and hold on to right. the ball. If it's third and one of the fifty, and you throw him a short pass, and he catches it, you got a first down. Great, but there's still play going on. Yeah, he's got to run. He's got to get tackled. Although he's personally, hold on to the ball. I don't think I would want to try tackling him. <laughs> exactly. That's just but my thought. But I yeah, I think offensive coordinators get worried about guys that don't normally handle the football. Fumbling. Yes, uh, and, and that's then, fair. Maybe he never would, but it's kind of hard. And not even to worry everybody about says, it. yeah, he played running back in high school. That was that was a, a while ago. That was that was a bit ago. Um, Mike said, "Who is due up for contracts after this year?" Minus Jameis and JPP. Lots and lots and mm-hmm. lots and lots of people. Basically, most of the defensive front. That includes Carl Nassib, Shaq Barrett, as you said, JPP, Indomitian uh, Sue. I mean, most of the front line guys. So that's going to be a lot of interesting questions up there. Um, I think Demar Dotson is another one, but especially the defensive front. I would assume you're going to try to resign some of those guys, but right. it would be surprising if you were able to get all of them back. Right. Uh, and Lewis had asked, do you think we'll be able to keep Chris Godwin? Yeah, I think you probably do. And and I understand the question because it, it, on one hand, it seems like a no-brainer, right? We were just talking about everything he does for you, but you have so much invested already in Mike Evans, which is fully deserved, that you might wonder, would a team put that much of their salary cap into two receivers? Right. Yeah, which is and tough. It's hard to do, but I think you find a way. Yeah. You know, and, and it's not, let's see, he's, this is his third year. So we got one more year of him under contract. Mm-hmm. So you do have a little time to work it out. Right. Um, and I know you sort of answered this, but Lance had asked if um, Sue was on a one-year deal. Yeah. So, yes. Um, do you feel Almost like- all the guys we signed in free agency this year are one-year deals. Right, um, which is <clears throat> going to be interesting. And that's how, cap space-wise – where do we feel like we're going to be? Well, regard- it, I mean, a lot will depend on how many of those guys we re-sign. Yeah, but- for that reason, because so many guys' contracts are up, the, the Bucks cap space situation for 2020 right now looks phenomenal, like all kinds of room. But you do have the Jameis Winston situation if you're going to try to re-sign him uh, and then all those guys to worry about. So you have a lot of room, but you also have a lot to fill. Right. Um, I thought this was interesting. Mike said, the schedule for the next two weeks sets up well for us. Jacksonville and Indianapolis are run-first teams, and that's our strength. Do you that's agree true. with that? Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, uh, Leonard Fournette is having a great, great year. Uh, 
that's the best thing they're doing on offense. And I, it seemed like we started to talk about Nick Foles, but didn't actually get to it. Um, he's been decent since he came back. The, I was reading an article from Jacksonville saying they, they don't feel like they've been able to get really in a flow offensively since he came back. But his numbers are pretty good. But, yes, Leonard Fournette is their thing. He's very, very – he's a big, powerful, fast dude. He's third in the league in percentage of his yards that he gets after contact. So he's just a guy that's going to – be tough to bring down right but yes that is absolutely our strength so it's very much strength on strength there and if you can make them one-dimensional by slowing him down as we have most running backs this year that's going to help a lot uh, I have not looked at Indianapolis yet to see how run heavy they are I know Marlon Mack has been hurt but then Jonathan Williams came in last week and did pretty well so yeah they're probably they've got a very good offensive line um the thing about that is, though, you always look at the stuff on paper and you think it never works out as a, do, the I way mean, that it says. Look at the Falcons. They had 11 sacks through their previous two games. The Buccaneers, James Winston was the most sacked quarterback in the league coming into this game. And, and they gave up none. No, no sacks. <laughs> he was barely touched. Yeah. So it's hard to say just from what's happened in the past that you, you know for sure that's what's going to happen. But it does look, especially this week, like strength on strength there. Okay. And uh, Ronald said, can we still make it to the wild card game? Technically, yes. We have not been eliminated, but I think it's very unlikely. Obviously, you're talking about winning out because eight wins is definitely not going to do it. Win out, go to nine and seven. The problem is the NFC this year is very, very top-heavy. I'm pretty sure if I'd have known I was going to get this question, I would have looked to be sure, but I'm pretty sure there's already eight, five NFC teams with eight wins. You can probably expect all those teams to get to at least ten. So you can't have any other team like Minnesota. I think they have seven wins get to ten, and that's asking an awful lot. All right, well, that's going to do it for us on this edition of Buccaneers Insider Live presented by Miller Lite. Thanks, as always, for being with us and sending in those questions. We'll see you 45 minutes before kickoff in Jacksonville. We'll see you then.